0: How are you guys doing? Good. Well, happy summer. It's the first Sunday of summer. So that's exciting, right? We just launched our new iced coffee. You want to get that? Yeah. You good? Got some? The hot coffee? Well, it's hot out there. So if you want the iced coffee, you can get that. Um, But yeah, so I'm really excited this morning. Um, This is uh, probably the toughest passage in Scripture. Uh, it's the most, it's certainly the most argued over passage in scripture. Uh, there's uh, church uh, fathers and then, uh, you know, reformers like Luther and stuff who would argue that this passage of scripture, you know, would have been better off not in the Bible. We know that's not true. Maybe, hopefully they were being facetious, uh, but it's a tough passage of scripture. And so we're going to just dig into it and then see what the Lord would have for us this morning. Uh, but as we look at this, one of the things I just want to remind us here at the Grove is kind of what our mission is at the Grove, because I think it's important to, to keep uh, the mission that God's given us in, in the forefront of our minds as, as we dig into tough passages like this. So, so what we would say at the Grove is we exist to see God glorified and enjoyed. And then, and then when we think about those two words, glorified and enjoyed, I, I think those are inseparable. And it's important for you guys to know that that, like, what we do, the decisions we make, the things we do as a church go through that filter. Is, is this going to glorify God? Is this going to help His people, the people He's given us, enjoy Him more, to delight in Jesus more? Like, is this going to help? And so, when we do things, and the reason why we do this is because, I, you know, my uh, eight years of ministry before the Grove here in Spruce Pine, what we see is there's a lot of people who know a lot of stuff about God. But don't enjoy him. There's no joy. Like I, like, I delight in Jesus. They just know about Jesus. They could rattle off facts after facts. Like, they could just destroy it, Bible Jeopardy, if there was such a thing. Like, just destroy it. But as far as delighting in and enjoying him, that just seemed to be lacking. And so when we set out to plant the grove, we knew we wanted to see God enjoyed. We knew there was, like, you read things like, like David in the Psalms and how much he enjoyed God and you read you read these things and we're like, man like there's just this enjoyment that comes from the people of God when they're close to God. so we wanted to see that happen in Spruce Pine, burnsville and surrounding areas. So when we go through things like James or other scripture like my heart, my prayer is that we would see what God's saying here that would stir a delight in God that would glorify God the most and so, uh, when we do things like we preach on Sunday mornings, we are, my goal is to just to, to preach the gospel that you would so, you see the gospel so clearly. It would just create a love and a delight and an enjoyment of the gospel in Jesus the, in the Father um, and the Holy Spirit. So we, we want to see that happen. When we do things like the women's Bible study, and we had 46 women sign up for this Bible study, it's just amazing um, that that many people signed up. It's like our heart, the reason why we've... Uh, done this and we've paid an exorbitant amount of money to have child care so anyone who wants to come can come um, and there's no barrier to entry um, and so everyone gets to come whoever wants to come and, and, and do this because we want uh, the women of the grove and the men too but we're talking about women's Bible study, to go from Genesis 1 to 11 and to behold the face of God and they might delight in him all the more and so like that's our heart and that's what we want to see and so we get into this James like know that our goal is to see you enjoy him more. Uh, because as we get into James and as we go like on the third week of almost the same sermon over and over and over again, because James is saying the same thing over and over and over again, like you might come in here just like feeling beat up, like, man, I've heard this, I've heard this. We're going to actually, I think there's some really exciting news in this scripture um, and really good news for us. Uh, although there is in, in all scripture, but there's this excitement here. And so what I want you to see is this is important because the same reasons that we exist to see God glorified and enjoyed is the same reasons James wrote this book. He was worried about the people who, was, who, who were part of his church. And he was worried that they might have been deceiving themselves and missing out on all that God would have for them. Missing out on the very thing they professed, which is the gospel and the joy that comes from that. And so we want to make sure, and we will talk about it again, that people uh, don't just know about God. But their life has been transformed by God, and they enjoy him. So these sermons are tough, but they're for our good. They're for your good, and my hope is that you'd see Christ all the more in them. All right, so if you guys are ready, we're going to dig into this. James 14, we're going to, uh, Mark just read it for us, we're going to go back through it and chat. So he starts off, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him the brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead so so he said some things can that kind of faith save us that that he says that kind of faith is dead the faith that does not have works is dead Here's what James is not saying. James is not saying, now that you have faith, go add works to your faith. Like, if you don't go add works to your faith, then you're not saved. that's not what he's saying. He's saying, a faith alone saves us. We know this. I've been trying to beat that into our souls for the last three years. Faith alone. It's like grace alone by faith alone. That's what saves us. Works do not save us. So James is not arguing the opposite. He's saying, a f- true genuine biblical faith that does save us also produces works if it doesn't produce works, then whatever you have is not faith it's dead it's not actually faith so it's not that you need to add works to your faith it's that if your faith doesn't produce works i don't know what you have but it's not faith it's dead. It's, it's what good is it? It's, it's useless. And so he uses this story. He says, to, to give us an example, if, if you see a brother or sister's poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving the things he needed, what good is that? Like the faith you have is, is useless if that's how you respond to people in need. And so the thing we need to realize is what is he talking about? True, genuine, biblical faith will produce works. It's characterized by works. He gives us this example. And the thing I want us to say before we really dig into the example is that God is inviting us into something with faith. And with this, with this scripture, he's inviting us into something. See, the, the poor man here, the one who's poorly clothed, and like this is like pretty much not clothed at all. Like like uh, not like off-brand clothes. Like this dude just like not clothed. Um, poorly clothed, not a lot, uh, and it's not that he's like kind of hungry. It's that he doesn't have food. Like he's he is not eating, and so this idea, this this thing that he's inviting us into, see, the poor man is ministered by receiving the blessings of the Lord, by being ministered to, loved on, encouraged by, the wealth that God has given the saints. See, so. So we, God has given things to us as Christians, not that we can receive them and be thankful for them and keep them for ourselves. Like like everything God has given you, when it comes to like wealth and money, um, God did not give you those things so you can keep making your house bigger, keep making your 401k bigger, make your truck higher off the ground. Like these kind of things is not why, nothing's wrong with those things. Like building onto your house is fine, but it's not the primary reason why God gave you what he's given you. The reason, the primary reason he's given you any sort of wealth that you may have, any sort of money, any sort of talents, and we can go beyond money, talents and time. The things that he's given you, he's given to you so that you might be a blessing to others, so that you can show the world that I am not ruled by these things. I am grateful by these for these things and I hold these things with an open hand. I'm not ruled by them. I am ruled by one king and his name is not money or wealth, it's Jesus. And that's why God's given us the It's a chance for us to, to love others, to be engaged in the culture and people around us and to bless them and encourage them and love on them. And, and then the, the poor man is invited to be loved and receive blessings by the Lord through his people. And, and this is why he's given us. So a faith that doesn't produce in us a love for others, is useless. What good is it for? So let's, let's, before we go on, we need to define terms. We need to define terms. And so, because we can talk about faith being useless, useless. but if we don't know what faith is, then me and you could be missing each other. Like if, if you have an idea of what faith is, and I have an idea of what faith is, we're not talking about the same thing, we're going to miss each other. If you have an idea of what works are, and I'm talking about a different kind of work, then we're going to miss each other. So let's define terms. I think I've heard a pastor define way. this way. This is the, this is the way we're going to use it Today, in this passage, is is faith is a trust in God and obedience to God. That's what faith is. Faith is this trust in God and obedience to God. It's a trust that leads to obedience. And then works, works is a life of loving God and loving others. Uh, James has already talked about it, the royal law of liberty is this law that loves God and loves others. And so we think about what faith is. Faith is this trust in God. And we'll dig more into to that in a little bit. And then works is this life of loving God and loving others. And so a um, faith that does not lead to loving God or loving others, Paul would say, or not Paul, James would say, what good is it? It's of no value. He says in verse 17, so also faith by itself, If it does not have works, it's dead. Then he continues on in verse 18. And we're gonna actually read through the end and then we'll we'll talk about it. But it says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. That even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James is going to start this argument, this hypothetical argument. So, so someone will say, he's starting this argument, you have faith and I have works. Show, and then he'll answer. So this idea of like, well, okay, you have works, I have faith. Like that'll save me. You want to try and work your way to God, that's fine. I have faith. God will save me by my faith. And James is going to say, okay, well, show me your faith from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying, show me. He's saying, okay, you, have, you say you have faith, show me your faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. This idea of trust, show me your trust in God. Show me your trust in God, I'll show it to you by my works. There's this idea, I, I think a good way, there's a couple things we'll talk about, a good way for us to really understand this trust that, God, that we have in God um, is, is all of us probably drive. Um, or we have been in a car while someone else has been driving, at the very least, right? And when, I think when you're driving, I, I've driven with some family members who, um, if someone's going slow in front of them and they can't pass them, what do, you, what do you guys do? You just, you ride really close to them to let them know, I know you're going slow, and I don't like it. I'd rather you go faster, so I'm going to annoy you until you either pull over or go faster. There's an immense amount of trust in your brakes you're putting on there right then. Because, like, if that person decides to brake, you're going to need to brake quickly, and you've decided, I trust these brakes. I'm going to live in such a way to where I know when I press my foot on those brakes, they will work and save me. Like, that's the kind of trust that you have. And so, so, so there's this other idea. Everyone right now, if, if you haven't driven or maybe you don't understand, maybe you don't ride people uh, on the, the back of their cars like, like I know some people do. Everyone besides me right now is uh, pretty much sitting. You guys are all sitting. Um, you guys put some some trust in those chairs my, my wife my in-laws have a lot of chairs that um, uh, there's no one has any business putting trust in uh, like they sit around the table in their sunroom and they've I don't know if they've been sitting in the sun for so long or they're just so old but so when we me and my wife first got married uh, Margie is what we would call—we'd have agreed on the word frugal. I think that's a fair assessment. And so, instead of buying chairs, we would get free chairs from her parents. And so, we got this chair. We had a computer desk. Um, this is before laptops were accessible by everyone in the world. So we had this computer desk. It's the thing you put like a real computer on. And we have this chair. It's this old wooden chair. And I was sitting in it one day. It was in our living room. And Margie walks by, and I had trust in the chair. Like I had trusted. It. I should not have trusted this chair. Um, it, it just collapsed underneath the weight I put on it. And uh, Margie thought this was hilarious, and she just laughed while I, like, my back was her, like, I had to, like, I should have gone to a chiropractor. I think there's still some, like, residual things going on with my back from that day. Uh, but Margie, all she did was laugh at me and just laugh and laugh and laugh. She's repented since then, and we've, we've, we've gotten past that. But when you sit down, you put this trust in the chair that you're sitting down on. Like you put trust in it. You're like, this chair is going to hold me. And so James is, is is having this hypothetical argument. You say you say you trust the chair. Go ahead, sit down. And he's like, well, no, like, I, I don't, no, we don't need to sit down. Like, I, can we just stand up? Is that okay? Like, I, I 100% know that chair will hold me, but I don't want to sit down. <laughs> so, okay, but like, why don't you just have a seat and we can talk? He's like, no, no, no. Like, my, my parents used to make me sit all the time when I was little. And I kind of have some issues with chairs now. And I really would rather not sit. Could we just stand and talk? He's like, okay, but... You say you trust the chair, just sit down. Like it's going to hold you, just sit. You, but you say it's going to hold you, sit. So James is having an argument. You say you trust God, you say you have faith, show me. If you trust him, follow him. Love him, love others. Here's the reason why we don't follow God. It's because we don't trust him. The reason we don't have works when we don't have works is because we don't trust God. We think what he's calling us to do, the way in which he's calling us to love him and love others will harm us and rob us of what we want, not give us what we want. Now that could be because we want things we shouldn't want, but I think ultimately deep down what we want is our own joy, right? Like everyone's after their own joy. Like you think If I do this, that'll make me happy, that'll bring me joy. If I do this, I do this, I do this, that'll bring me joy. So everyone's after their own joy. So what you're saying when you refuse to walk in the way that God has lined out in front of you is I don't believe you when you say this will bring me joy, I'm gonna go this way. So James is saying you say you have faith in God, show me, walk in the way God's called you to walk in and trust him that that will bring you the joy that he says it will. Trust, trust him, obey him. Show me faith. Now, he's not talking about perfection like we're all going to stumble. We're all going to walk. We're all going to try and love God. We're going to try and love others, and we're going to fall. But the problem is is a lot of people don't even want to try. They just don't trust him. I'm not going to do it. I know this is wrong. When it comes to the way that uh, God says that sex is for marriage only, and we're like, yeah, that's really cool, but we're married in the eyes of God, so we're going to go ahead and have sex. Or, hey, that's really cool, but we're going to do it this way. Like you're saying God's trying to rob me of joy by making it this way. I'm going to do it this way. When God says, hey, be generous, be a cheerful giver, and you're like, no, like I need to save money. I need security. I need this. I want to add to this. Then you're saying, I don't trust God that I'll be okay if I'm generous the way he says I should be. When, when, when God says, husbands, love your wives, lay your life down for them, and you're like, you know what? If I, if I keep laying my life down for my wife, I'm never going to have what I want. So I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna work to try and get my joy out of my wife instead of laying my life down for her. You're saying I don't trust God. I don't have faith. So if you say you have faith, show me. Trust him. Walk in the way he's called you to. Show me the faith. So this this is James's argument. He says, show me. You believe that God is one. He continues on. He says in 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. See. I think what happens is a lot of times we say we have faith. As, as people in the South, what we're really, what we really saying is I, I, I think this happened historically. Like I think that Jesus was God and he died on the cross. And that is my faith. And that is my um, salvation. Is that I intellectually have good doctrine so I'm okay. Dude, like demons have better doctrine than you and they're not saved. Like, they know more than you. They've read the Bible more than you have. They've seen things that you have not seen. And they believe. They intellectually know these things are true. That does not make you a Christian. Like, thinking things are true does not make you a Christian. Saying, yes, Jesus died on the cross. Like, like, when we say things like, hey, in Romans it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised from the dead, you shall be saved. That is true. But he, here's the thing we take, we we're trying to make the best English Bible we can and we use words like believe. And so we translate that to how we use believe today and it's not the same. Like belief meant trust. It, it was like this, I believe I'm putting weight on this truth to where if this, if my brakes fail, then I'm gonna crash. If, if Jesus really didn't raise from the dead, then my life is meaningless. That's the kind of belief Paul is telling the Romans to have in the resurrection, is believe in it, to confess doesn't mean just to say out loud with your lips, it means to like, that's, confess it, like, it's real, like, this is, Jesus is your king, you will submit to him, this is what you're confessing. Intellectual acknowledgement to certain doctrines or beliefs does not make you a Christian. And I think this is where we've we have we have messed up in Christianity is we've told people if you think this is true, then you're saved. We've taken the supernatural regeneration of the Holy Spirit of our souls out of it. And it's just if you think these things, then you're good. You're going to heaven. Do you think this? Do you think this? Do you think this? We use words like believe, but what we're really asking is do you think, right? We're saying, do you think this? Do you think this? Do you would you like it's like a test. And if they answer all the right answers, you're in and that's not that's not christianity. So he's saying show me your works and i'll show you my faith. Do you want to be shown verse 20. Do you want to be shown I mean this kind of takes like this different tone. Do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless. So faith apart from works is dead. It will not save you. It is useless. It's not good for anything. These are the words he's using about faith without works. Verse 21, he's going to give us some examples. He's going to go back and give us these biblical examples. And I love these examples. They are so real. And here's what these examples, I'm just going to tell you up front. Here's what these examples are going to do. They're just going to destroy your desire right now. I know some of you, I know some of you right now are like, okay, so what do I do? Like, well, like, give me the list of works that I got to do and so I can be good. And these examples are just going to destroy those things. And I love it. Because he, here's the list of things. Or there's not here's the story and you can see what kind of list of things there would be. Verse 21 was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's the first story. There's this guy Abraham and God appears to him says, "Hey, I'm going to make a nation out of you. You're going to have a son and you're going to have many sons." Uh, remember the song people used to sing when you guys were little? Maybe I didn't sing it. I didn't grow up in church, but there's a song about Abraham. I'm pretty sure I don't know the words to it. We're not gonna sing it. Don't worry. But there, there's clapping involved. It's a whole thing. It's like you know the you know the story if you grew up in church. If you don't, I'm telling it to you. Like God said, Abraham, I'm gonna make a nation out of you. You're gonna have so many sons. Like you're gonna be able to count them all, and they're gonna bless the world. And Abraham believes, but he also kind of laughs, and is this whole thing. Um, and, and this is what happens, is God ends up giving him a son. It's more complicated than that. His wife kind of whores him out to another person, and then they have another son, because they don't trust. It's this whole thing. But, like, he ends up having the son, Isaac, who's going to, like, be the, be, be, uh, the his heir to his promise, right? This is what happens. And then God does something just even crazier. He says, all right, I gave you the son. I want you to take him to the top of this mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. I mean, like, don't. Like, don't take this as just like a like this is a real thing. Like this, we believe this really happened. So don't hear this and just be like, oh yeah, that's a story. I remember the felt board, like they had the knife, there was a whole. Like, this is a real story. Isaac hears from God. Remember that promise I gave you? I'm I'm basically like what what Abraham's hearing. I'm not saying this is what God's saying. What Abraham's hearing is, you're gonna take this away. Like you gave me this promise, you gave me this son and now you're asking for me to go and take it away. So what does Abraham do? He gets the wood, because you have to burn it, burn the offering, so he gets the wood, and he goes up to make the sacrifice, which he's done with his son many times, never, never his son being the sacrifice, and then and Isaac, is like, hey dad, where, where's, where's our sacrifice at? Abraham's like, oh, he'll provide it himself. And with fear, trepidation, uncertainty, he walks up that mountain, builds the altar, puts his son on top, and goes to kill his son because of his faith, because he trusts God. When God made that promise, no matter what else he asks of him, no matter what else Abraham does, that promise will be fulfilled. So he goes to kill his own son, and God says, stop. And God provides a sacrifice for that day, and it's this big illusion that we have that God would one day provide his own son as a sacrifice for us. But Abraham didn't know that. He was walking up a mountain with some wood and a knife to kill his son. That's faith. That's this, this trust that we have. This other story is fantastic as well. Rahab the prostitute. Verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute Justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So, so Rahab's this prostitute in this town called Jericho. Um, God has saved His people from Israel; they've they've been wandering in the desert for forty years. Moses is now dead. Joshua's the leader. Joshua sends spies into Jericho to see the land, he, God's gonna give him Jericho, but he sends spies to see it, see how they should do this, um, see what's going on, see what their defenses are like. So he sends these spies in, and there's this prostitute named Rahab. Now, we can't just, like, like we, gotta, we gotta not be judgmental here. Like no girl grows up wanting to be a prostitute. That's not how you get into this profession, okay? So like take off the judgment, like oh, she was this prostitute, that's not okay. Like no one, what the amount of demonic abuse, um, oppression, and things that have to happen to you to become a prostitute are dark, and things that most of us will never experience or even hear of, although I know that some of us may. She did not want to be a prostitute. She found herself this way because of what has happened to her. So so I I need you to understand the faith that this woman has, that these men come into her house, and like, you got to think, like, what is she thinking? Like, I mean, are these men gonna treat me just like every other man has treated me? But she's caught wind that God is doing something, that God's gonna take Jericho with his people, and so she asks to be remembered by God's people when they take it, and she'll help them. Like, the faith that she had to have. Like, here's the thing, like, you're thinking, like, okay, so what do I do to be saved? Like, Rahab's, Rahab's work after her faith was just hide them. Like, that's not gonna translate to us. Like, there's no one for us to hide right now, right? Like, there's no, like, this isn't some, like, here's a list of things to do now. It's just have faith. Wherever that may lead you, trust God. Whatever he may ask of you in his word, trust him, obey, listen to him, submit to him. This is the faith that that saved Abraham and made him righteous. is a faith that would lead him to, to sacrifice his own son if that's what God asked. It's the faith that would make Rahab invite strange men into her home when men have abused and used her like a commodity her whole life. This is the kind of faith that God is asking of us. This is the kind of faith that saves us. And it's, it's a good thing. Like, like so I have, a, I have a son, Eliam. I use him for a lot of illustrations. I'm sure as the other kids get older, you guys will hear more about other kids. but. Um, me and Eli- Eliam ha- just finished his first year of kindergarten. We're like super excited and kind of sad about it, but it's good mostly. So he had his first spring break, and um, we were really excited about spring break. We want to make a big deal about it, like it's his first spring break. So we thought we, we put it on Facebook. First time I ever asked for recommendations on Facebook. Um, it's like the most commented post I've ever had. So like it was really like people just love telling you what they think y- they sh- you should do. Um, now I asked for it, so it's fine. But people just love. Um, like hey this is, what you should, this is what you should do. So we were like hey we want to go to Pigeon Forge where should we stay? And a, a lot of people said hey we, you should stay at Wilderness at the Smokies and so I looked it up and I was like oh my gosh it's super expensive um, but it was like everyone's thing was to do and so this is the deal I kind of made with Margie was like hey like if we go to Wilderness at the Smokies we're gonna pay more for a hotel but it has like three water parks included in the hotel that comes with the hotel so we're not going to Dollywood we're not going we're not doing these if, if we stay here we're not going anywhere else. Like we're gonna eat, sleep, play here. Like this is us in this one area the entire trip. We're down there. She agrees. Um, we're in, so we go. We're driving to this place. Uh, we don't tell our kids. It kind of backfired. They had no idea we were pulling a pigeon forage So that was dumb. I guess Disney's like the only place you can do that with. Um, so we pull into this place, and there's like this huge water slide on the outside of the hotel that you can see, but it's part of an indoor park. So like like you're inside. There's this big dome. And to get to the water slide, you gotta walk up these steps. But the water slide goes out of the dome and then comes back in. And you can see it from the road. My son is freaking out because he's like, "That looks really scary." It was like checkered, and so he called it the pattern slide because he's really smart and saw that it was a pattern. That's pretty good, right? And so he's like, "Oh, the pattern slide." So he like did not want to go on the pattern slide because of how it looked. It's called the Storm Chaser if you wanna Google it later. Um, it's like it's like it comes out and it's this huge like like a funnel looking thing on its sides. So it's this huge funnel and then it goes back into a slide. He thought you like flip all the way upside down. That's not what you do, that would be crazy. You just go really high and come back and you're doing this deal until you go down. So he did not want to go down a slide, and so, but he wanted to go down some slides. So I take him, and uh, the analogy starts to break, break down here, you'll see at the end, but I take him. I don't tell him we're going to the storm chaser, but I like take him up those steps. He realizes it's the storm chaser, and he starts just like bawling, crying. Like we're in the middle of these steps. There's like I'm have, I have to let other parents walk by. Like part of me like is getting a little frustrated, but like I'm just like buddy like like th- you're gonna love this slide. Like you're gonna love it. He's like I don't want to go down. I like I'm gonna get hurt. And I'm like dude, all these people are going down. They're not getting hurt. Like if I wanted you to get hurt, we could have done it in the hotel. Like I don't have to bring you out here to hurt you. Like this isn't this isn't what's happening right now. I was like buddy like like. I will not be able to get you off this slide if you just go down one time. He's not hearing any of it. I'm just begging him to go down this slide with me. Um, he, he won't do it. Uh, again, the analogy breaks down here. I had to like bribe him with ice cream to go down the slide. But the, 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 the thing is, is I knew he'd be okay. I knew he'd be fine. I knew that he would love it if he would just trust me and go down the slide one time. It's all he had to do. He went on that slide one time and he wanted to go again and again. He didn't want to do any other slides. He wanted to keep on one slide. And it was a slide with the longest line, so that was frustrating. But, like, that's the one slide. He just wanted to go down again and again and again. And I just, like, pleading with him, just trust me. Like, your dad knows what you're going to like. And this is the kind of faith and trust that God's, like, inviting us into. Like, I know what's best for you. I've created the universe. I created you. I created your soul. I created it all. Like, I know what's best for you. Would you just trust me? Would you come up the steps with me? Would you go down the slide? Like, would you just trust me that you're going to be okay? Even when you're not feeling okay, even when the things that I've called you into wounds you, would you trust that long-term this is the best thing for you? Like, this is the faith that he's inviting us into. Faith that leads us to take those steps up the stairs and to do whatever he asks us. Not because these works save us, but because if we really have faith, we'll sit down. If we really have faith, we'll climb the steps. We'll do whatever he asks if we really have faith. If we're unwilling to sit, if there's no way we're climbing the steps going on that slide, you don't have faith. You might believe God exists. You might believe Jesus was a historical figure who even died and rose again, but you don't have a saving faith. This is what God's called us to, to this, this, this life of faith and trust that leads to our joy. So I understand that it feels like a bait and switch I, like, started the sermon off with, like, oh, your delight and your enjoyment, and then I'm telling you, you might not be a Christian. But, like, this is the life of joy. It's trusting him. is obeying him. Doing these things will not save you. They won't. I love my wife. I think she's fantastic. Her name's Margie. She's sitting up here in the front. If you don't know her, she's awesome. She's fantastic. I really love her. And so because I love her, there's certain things I do. One of those things is just spend time with her. Like, so we go on, uh, we're starting this new tradition, it seems like, on accident, but we're doing it. Uh, We're going on a cruise, like, maybe every year, just by ourselves, just us two. And I love her, and I want to spend time with her. Could you imagine, like, if you think that if I I do these things, and, like, that will make me love God, and, and he'll love me, like... If I just like hated my wife, and I was like, you know what, I hate her, I want to love her, I'll just go on a cruise with her by myself, and like, that'll make me love her. That's not, that's just going to make it worse. Like being alone, if I have such contempt and like hatred towards my wife, I don't want to be around her, and so I'm just going to force myself to be around her in hopes that I like being around her, that's just going to ruin everything. This isn't the kind of works we're called to. So if you don't have a desire, if you don't have the delight and the joy that you want, it's not just by doing more stuff to get it. But sometimes it kind of looks like that. And and here's what I mean. Is I think the way, if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I don't have a desire. I don't have, like, I don't want to do these things. Um, I, I, I believe God exists. I believe all the right stuff. But like, I just, like, there's things that he's calling me to do that I don't know if I can do. There's a way that that he's calling me to use my money. I don't know if I can do that. There's a way he's calling me to to live in, in relationships. Like, I don't know if I can do that. There's a way he's calling me to be a wife or a husband. I don't know if I can do that. Here's what I would say is just, like, position yourself in a way to see him more and more and more. So, like, be here on Sunday mornings and hear the gospel. Go to home group and see, hear, and feel the gospel. If you're a woman... Do your homework for the Women's Bible Study. Come to the Women's Bible Study. See and hear the gospel. Not not in hopes that it would save you in some way, but that if you just continue to position yourself in a place where you might get a glimpse of Jesus, like you'll want to follow him. You'll want to follow him more and more and more. So we draw near to him, and he'll draw near to us. And we'll see that in later in James. But this is what I think we should do is just position ourselves. So maybe it's like listening to, to a certain kind of music that just stirs our affections for Christ. Maybe it's listening to a certain podcasts or sermons uh, outside of Sunday mornings that just stir our affection for Christ. We gotta figure out what stirs your affections for Christ. I think Bible reading and prayer is gonna be one or be two for all of us. But then outside of that, there's some that some people are gonna be like, man, I love going hiking and just seeing God's creation is fantastic. And other people are like, I hate hiking. There's no way it's gonna draw me closer to God. It's gonna make me, like, curse God like when I get mosquito bit and stuff. Like, So, like, I get, some of us might have different things. We've got to figure out what that is and surround ourselves by those things that we might delight in him more and be able to trust him and follow him. So, so as we close, I, th- I think this, the gospel's what's going to make us delight in God. The gospel's what's going to make us delight more and more in Christ. And as we can glimpse that, and so, uh, there's things that we do all the time. We, I mentioned most of them, but even here on Sunday mornings, like as we sing, we sing about the gospel. As we preach, we preach the gospel. As we take communion, we uh, remember the gospel. As we give uh, generously our, the gifts that God has given us and our, the talents that God has given us and we serve, we remember the gospel, we practice the gospel, as we forgive others, we practice the gospel. and So we've got to make the gospel a habit in our life. From Sunday mornings to Saturday nights, it's gotta be this habit in our life that we're practicing it, we're remembering it, we're hearing it, we're preaching it to ourselves, or we're we're practicing it in our marriage. And so as we sing this morning, as we eat and drink this morning, as we give this morning, if you're a member of the grove, This is why we do this, is to glimpse God, to see the gospel, to delight in him, that we might trust him all the more and follow him. So as we continue through James, um, he's going to get super practical after this chapter, so we're going to dive into chapter three next, and we're going to start getting really practical as if it's not, I mean, I feel like it's super practical already, but it's going to get even more practical um, as we see talking about the tongue and our speech, but we cannot we cannot forget that it's all rooted in the gospel. We'll never go beyond the gospel. The gospel is not the doorway into Christianity. And then we, once we get past that, we add other things to our lives. It is all of it. It is Christianity. We, we are we're saved by the gospel. We are empowered by it. And we live by it. And this is our entire life. And we'll die uh, a glorious death by the gospel. And so I'll pray for us as we seek to remember through song, eating, and giving Um, but, uh, I just want you guys to know that the reason we have these tough conversations, the reason why we do things like this is for your good and your delight, um, and for the glory of God. So we'll pray and then we'll sing together. Father, God, I thank you so much, um, that we can, uh, come before you, Lord, that we can read these stories of, uh, Abraham and Rahab, uh, that we can hear from James and that you would just, um. Glorify yourself uh, as we delight in you, as we see your face, Lord. So I, pr- I just want to pray this morning that there's people here who um, just th- their, their faith is weak, that this wouldn't overly burden them, but they would see you as someone that they can trust, someone whom they can obey, and it will be okay. Lord, if there's people here this morning who just don't have faith, they have this intellectual acknowledgement of the things of God, but they don't have a faith that's transformed them, Lord, I pray, God, that you would just give them that faith. Lord, Ephesians says that faith is a gift from you, Lord, so we ask that you would just give the gift of faith to all who are here this morning. Lord, we know that you can, we know, and so we ask that would be the way that you glorify yourself. Father, we love you, we trust you. I pray that as we sing, as we eat, and as we give, Lord, that would be holy and glorifying to you and a blessing to you. And as we do those things, God, I pray that you would bless us with joy. I pray this in your son, Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.